please do turn in your Bibles to Romans 4. Um, it won't be on the screens for you. I'm trusting that you're bringing your Bibles so that you can look at it as we make our way through studying this text together. I promise. Two words that you have very likely given to another person in your life. Two words that have been given to you. I promise. Picture a young daughter longing for the attention and presence of her workaholic father. If he could just come to one game. Dad, could you come? I'm in the starting lineup tonight. And he utters the words, I promise. To be there, to show up, to cheer her on. But when she looks into the stands, it's her mother alone. And hopes are left unfulfilled. The promise is broken and faithlessness is displayed. Imagine a young man out of college for two years now. He's been giving his all to the new company that hired him, putting in long hours, jumping at every chance to prove himself, to put in the achievement necessary to get that slot that's above him so he can get that promotion when it opens up. He's been talking to his boss for the last couple of months now and asking if it will be his this time around. I promise. When the department is pulled together just a few weeks later, it's another that gets the job. And hopes are left unfulfilled, a promise is broken, and faithlessness is displayed. Envision a young wife five years into their marriage. Their life has been so good together, everything that she thought that marriage was going to be, sharing the load, working hard on common dreams, building a life together that flowed from those words that he had said so long ago, standing in front of that church building, in front of all of their friends and family. I promise. But these last months, he's felt distant. The warm intimacy they've shared has departed with coldness taking its place. And when she gently confronts him, he admits his new addiction to porn. Hopes seem unfulfilled and a promise is broken and faithlessness is displayed. Promises, promises. I think we... We've all felt the sting of broken promises, the disappointment of placing our hope and trust in another, be it a parent or a work colleague, a spouse, a friend, a company, a politician. To deliver on what they've said that they would do. And many of us have learned from such circumstances the truth that a promise is only as good or as sure as the person making it to you. Which is an important reflection because our thinking is shaped and formed by the wounds inflicted upon us from such broken promises. And we need to be self-aware about that because it can make us wary about trusting or skittish about placing our faith in another, only to be disappointed again. And that's an important reflection and self-awareness because our lives depend on a promise. 
a promise made to another and to us, for us. And our hope in that promise depends on the faithfulness of the one making it. Romans 4.13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants. Okay, we have to stop right there. And I want you to put a little box around the word for. We know what that little word is supposed to make us do, right? It's supposed to make us look back because Paul's using it as a ground or an explanation of what has just come before. In this case, we look up a bit in the text in chapter 4 and we remind ourselves that he's been talking to us about Abraham as an example of what it looks like to be made right with a righteous God. And he's chosen Abraham as this discussion point because he's talking mainly to Jews, And he's explaining that the way that they were made a part of the covenant family of God wasn't by their ethnicity, wasn't merely that Abraham was their father by blood, but that this family standing had to come by faith. The same faith that their forefather Abraham displayed, making him both a physical and a spiritual father. Further, Paul has been showing us that this is the same way that non-Jews are made right with a righteous God. At the same time, they also are becoming a part of the family of God. Certainly not by their ethnicity. They're Gentiles. But by their faith. The same faith that Abraham displayed, making him a spiritual father to them too. That's what he has said in verse 11. This was to make Abraham the father of all who believe, Jew and Gentile. And so for all of those who believe, just like it was for him, it is for them. Their faith is credited as righteousness. But I think all of that begs the question, faith in what? Faith in what? What was Abraham displaying faith in? What are we supposed to have faith in? Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would inherit the world. So what's that about? What's that promise that he would inherit the world? Well, as we endeavor to keep understanding Paul's, the entirety of Paul's whole argument, we recall that back in chapter 4, verse 3, right, he quoted Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it must be something that is back there in Genesis that God said, something that then Abraham believed in and trusted in. So if you're going to go back there, if you were to go back there and read all of Genesis 15 and the surrounding context, I think the picture would get clearer. Let me summarize it for you because we don't have time to read Genesis, let's say, 14 through 17. If you went to Genesis 12, you would find there that God spoke a promise that he would make Abram, not Abraham yet, Abram, a great nation. He would bless him and make his name great and that all the peoples on the earth, every single other ethnicity would be blessed through Abram. So go, Abram. And Abram went. Genesis 12. Reading further, we'd we'd find God coming to Abram in the night, taking him outside of his tent. Do you you remember this? And and showing him and, and saying, look at the sky, Abram, and count The stars, if you're able to count them, your offspring will be that numerous. And and then we get Paul's quotation. And Abraham believed Yahweh and he credited 
it to him as righteousness. Reading further, we discover that when Abraham was 99 years old, 99, Yahweh appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. I will set up my covenant between me and you, my promise, and I will multiply you greatly and your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham for I will make you, this is what his name means, the father of many nations, Genesis 17. This is the promise that God made to Abraham. God promised him that through him would come a people, a people of God. And Abraham would be the father of this nation of whom God would also be the father. God promised him that through this nation, this ethnicity, this family, all ethnicities would, free, would receive the promise of being a part of the covenant family. Do, do you see? We, we are all part. Abraham is our father. All of the ethnicity of the world becoming a part of this family that then, so the promise could be that he would inherit the whole world. It would cover the whole world. It's an amazing promise. And Paul now connects it to what he's been saying all along. Again, chapter four, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Okay, so this is really good and really exciting. And you remember how I talked about last time we have to break texts apart and see the flow of, of the author's argument? Like, how is this working? So that's what I want to do for you. I want to restate this. So look in your Bibles, look at the text, because I want to make sure you're seeing what I'm seeing in the text. So Paul says that the way that we are made righteous with God is by faith. And that that right standing, hallelujah, isn't merely a legal standing in the courtroom being declared right. It also brings with it, you guys, it brings with it, maybe even more importantly, a change in family status. We are now, because of the righteousness that is given to us, made part of another family. <laughs> it's why when I meet you, I say, hey, bro. Hey, sister. And why I love when you say, Hey, brother, back to me because, because we're family. It's not just some legal declaration. We are made a part of it. I mean, look around. You've been given this great big family, brothers and sisters, because of Abraham's belief in this promise. And this reality that we're living in right now in 2023 is the fulfillment of a promise made to Abraham long ago that he would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth so that we today are experiencing the fulfillment of that promise. Not only are we experiencing it, we are the fulfillment of that promise. <laughs> that is so awesome. We are fulfillment of the promise of God to Abraham. And here's the important bit that has always been true. None of that promise fulfillment could happen for Abraham or for us through the law. Because if it was through the law, the possession of it or the keeping of it, that we become heirs of this promise, then faith is empty, worthless, and useless, and the promise becomes null and void. A big red stamp comes down from the sky and canceled. And all hopes are left unfulfilled. 
Now, why is that true? Well, Paul says it's true because the law couldn't produce that because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, where there is no law, there is no transgression. And to the careful Bible reader, you just said, wait, what? What what did you just say? There is no transgression? I mean, how is that possible? Because I thought that hundreds of years before the law, Adam sinned, and through Adam all sinned, Romans chapter 5. So how can Paul say there is no transgression? Because while all transgression is sin, not all sin is transgression. Let me say that again. While all transgression is sin, not all sin is transgression. So we know, of course, of course there was sin before the law came. The law didn't come until 430 years after Abraham under the covenant made with Moses. But up until that law, there was no transgression because there was no explicit laws from God to transgress because that's what transgression is, right? It is a sinful crossing of a line that is made apparent because of a law that defines that line. It is, as Paul will say later, that without the law, Without the law, he would have been unaware of all kinds of sin. It wasn't until the law came along and said, do not covet, that all of a sudden Paul was aware that he was coveting all over the place. So without the law, there would have been no transgression, which could have opened the door to the hope that we could have fulfilled the promise. We could have obtained it. But then along comes the law and sin Seizing an opportunity through the commandment produces sin of every kind. Chapter 7, verse 11. And sin, as Paul has made clear, once again, since chapter 1, verse 18, produces and deserves wrath. And so we are left to face the stark reality that it is impossible to obtain the promise through the law because it will only produce wrath and then the promise will be nullified. But Paul has this really good news for us. There is a way, and faith is the way. This is the way, by faith. You see, Paul, what Paul is at pains to show us on behalf of our loving father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You you know, we ought to say that more often. It's all over the Bible. So often in the Bible, they remind each other, you, you know, God, God, the, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that God, you remember that God, the, the God who is with us until this day? What we see from Paul, what he's at pains to show us is that law and promise, law and promise exclude each other. John Stott says it this way. Law and promise belong to different categories of thought. Thoughts which are incompatible. Law language, you shall, demands our obedience. But promise language, I will, demands our faith. What God said to Abraham, this is so good. What God said to Abraham was not obey this law and I will bless you, but I will bless you, believe my promise. 
And this is why the promise, verse 16, is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to the one who is of the law, the Jew, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith, the Gentile or the circumcised Jew who's believing in the way that Abraham did, because Abraham is the father of us all, which is absolutely amazing. Right? Yeah, okay, I just wanted to make sure you were with me. (laughs) This is so cool, you guys. It's so hope-producing and freeing. The fixed point for Paul is that God is gracious and that his salvation originates in his sheer grace alone. And what activates that? See, here's what happens in order that that may be so. Here's what activates God's grace. A human response to obtain the promise coming only by faith. For grace gives and faith receives. Grace gives, faith receives. Faith's exclusive function is humbly to receive what grace offers. Otherwise, Paul's going to write in chapter 11, verse 6, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. God's law makes demands that we transgress bringing wrath. But God's grace, God's grace makes promises which we believe and so we receive blessing. Thus, here's the implication. This is Stott again. Law, obedience, transgression, and wrath belong to one category of thinking while grace, promise, faith, and blessing belong to another. And I ask you, which category do you, which family do you want to belong to? when you see these two lines. And maybe in your life, you've, you've been a part of a kind of a family that was like the family in line number one, right? Versus the family in line number two. Or maybe you've been a part of a church that was like, like line number one, that first category of thinking, instead of a church that like, that's like that second category. I know what that's like. And I know the kind of church that God wants. And I'm so grateful that almost a year ago now, God and a search team and elders and deacons and this church brought us here because we're, we're living that second category. I'm so grateful for that, but I want more. I want more of that kind of thinking for God to do that in us. Paul wants us to see what that kind of faith and hope in that promise looks like and the faithfulness of the one making it. Verse 17, as it is written, the quote in scripture again, I, I have made you, Abraham, the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Abraham believed, hoping against hope, So that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. 
Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham did not waver in unbelief at God's promise but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised he was also able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him. That faith was credited to him for righteousness. Now listen, maybe you are like me when you read this text and you read you read these lines, he believed hoping against hope, verse 18, and he did not weaken in faith, 19, and he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, 20, and he was fully convinced that what God promised he was also able to do, verse 21. And you're thinking with me like, whoa, hold on a minute there, Bucksnort, as my father would say. Are you reading the same story that I'm reading, Paul? Because when I read Genesis... Like, I feel like you're not reading the same story that I read. Because when I read this on Monday morning, I went back and I read Genesis 12 all the way through about Genesis chapter 19. And when I did that, do you know what I saw there? Well, let me tell you. Thanks for asking. I read that Abraham, when looking at his body at 99, okay, 99, and Let's just make sure that we understand this, that just because it's in the Bible, it wasn't like, oh, it was really possible for a 99-year-old dude to have a kid. It wasn't any more possible then than it is now. And Abraham, when looking at his wife, Sarah, who was also no spring chicken at 90, with like a womb that had an expiration date that had long since passed, right? When he looked at himself and at his wife, Sarah, do you know what he did when God made the promise? <laughs> you got to be kidding me, God. Like, are you, look, are you looking at this? Are you looking at this? She's old. Ain't no kids coming. For, you're going to have to find someone else. He laughed. See, Genesis 17. When I go back, I read that Abraham and Sarah, before that embarrassing little incident, they have an even more scandalous response to waiting for God's promise to come true. Impatient on his timing, Sarah gives another woman to Abraham to have sexual intercourse with so that she can have a baby so that instead of waiting on God, they can make the promise come true through their own efforts and work and power. See Genesis 16. And I got to tell you, family, that that does not look like strong, hopeful, unwavering, convinced faith in God. And the other thing I got to say, I couldn't believe that I pulled nine commentaries off my shelf and not one of those men or women dealt with that seemingly glaring discrepancy between Genesis and Romans. And so I was left with the question, what is going on? Which account am I supposed to believe is true? What I'm reading right before me in my eyes in Genesis or what I'm reading that Paul is saying about that account in Romans, which is true. And the answer I came up with is both. Both are true. I have no other response because I believe in the trustworthiness of this word. So both have to be true. So now I have to, make, I have to try and make sense of that. How do I make sense of Abraham's faith which seems wavering and, and seems filled with doubts? 
And then Paul saying that, that he wasn't wavering, that he was strong in his faith. And the only conclusion that I could draw is that Paul is helping us see, looking back on that reality and the totality of the story of Abraham and all through the rest of the covenant leading up to his present day and our day now, he was able to see a kind of faithfulness that the promises came true. Because, because God says, right, it was credited, God credited it to him as righteousness. So whether or not I want whatever adjectives I want to put on it, I have to believe it was a strong enough faith, which actually right? Like, it's so encouraging. Because I got to tell you, Abraham's faith is my faith. It's my faith. My faith is wavering. And I have all kinds of doubts. And there's so many times in my life when I've been really weak, just kind of desperately trying to cling and hold on to who he is and what he has said and how remarkable in this text listen family how remarkable to know that wavering weak and doubting faith can be strengthened by focusing our attention on the faithfulness and the character of the one making the promises because that's what this is really about not merely the promise but the one who is making it. Do you see it there in the text? Do you, see, do you see who Abraham believed in so that his faith was made strong in the presence of God? Verse 17, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Listen, family, before we can believe in the promise of God, we have to make sure we know the God of the promise. We need to be sure that he is powerful enough and faithful enough to do what he said he will do. So first, Paul wants us to look at the power of this God. He is the one who gives life to the dead. Can you think of anything more fear-inducing and confidence-shaking than death? Is there anything that devastates us more as humans than death? It, it may be the metaphorical death of, of our hopes or our aspirations, our dreams, who among us hasn't seen a dream die? Or it may be the very real death of a friend or family member or spouse. Death is an event that exposes our utter lack of control and our absolute humanity. A specter from which there is no escape. There is no escape for any of us from death. It is as Woody Allen once quipped, it's not that I'm afraid to die, it's just that I don't want to be there when it happens. But God kept his promise by his power. He, he gave life to Sarah's dead womb, the place that was barren, turning it into a place of fertility that produced an heir through which Israel was born and the family of God that would then bless the world all to this day so that you are here that you are here. He is your forefather. This is the line to whom you belong. 
Second, Paul wants us to see that God is the one who calls things into existence that do not exist. In that womb, which had been absent of a child, where no child existed for 90 years, a place of nothingness and emptiness and void, a child was called into existence by God. And is that any surprise really for this God? Is this not the God who looked down on our planet, formless and empty, dark and void, a place of nothingness, and then boom, created? Like everything that is fruitfulness. I mean, things just exploding. Can you imagine being there? Like things just exploding up out of the ground. Boom, 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 boom. So that to this day, we're still, we're still discovering species that that generations before us were not even aware of. We're still discovering flora and fauna that nobody knew even existed, that he called into existence, if for no one else other than himself to delight in and to receive glory from. And that's exactly what this God, this God then did for Abraham. Before he even had a child by Sarah, God changed his name to be the father of many nations. Have you... I don't think that I've caught that before. Like he was calling this into, I'm gonna name you Abraham, the father from whom many nations will flow. I haven't even had a kid by Sarah yet, but I'm calling that thing into existence. I'm naming it right now. It just struck me. God named it and claimed it. And a promise is only as good or as strong as the person making it to you. And Paul and Moses want us to see the character of a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And that there was more to this. There was more to this promise than merely physical descendants. It's so much more than that. It's the promise from God that he will bring life from death. It is the promise that he will call things into existence that do not exist. Do you see the metaphor that's operating in the story of Abraham? Resurrection and new creation. That is the promise of God to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, the prophets, the psalm and wisdom writers. All the way down the story, for every Jew and Gentile who would believe, this was a story that they kept coming back to again and again and again. This God who made a promise and kept the promise and then credited whoever would believe with righteousness that would open up the way to be a part of the family so that all the privileges all the privileges of being a part of that family would be yours and would be mine. And that this whole story, do do you see, this whole story is here for us. For us. Do you see it in the text? Look at it. Verse 22. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness, Paul, quoting Genesis 15, 6. Now, okay, look at that. Look, it was credited to him. That bit there was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. (laughs) Which is why we have this story now. That's why we have this Bible God wants us to know who he is and what he is capable of and what he's up to in our lives all through this book. It's absolutely, do you love the Bible? I just, I love the Bible. I love that whole story. Paul says, for you, Matthew. That was for you. He's gonna write in in Romans 15, chapter four, these things that that whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. Okay, why? Why, Paul? Why, why do I have the story? So that I may have hope through endurance 
and through the encouragement of the scriptures. So my life depends on this story. Your life depends on this story. This story was written and it's your story and he's your father. Abraham is your father and all of this is for you. And it means something for your life. Are you, are you here this morning wavering in faith? How do you think you're going to grow stronger? How will you, in all the circumstances of your life, how will you, like Abraham, hope against hope and not waver in unbelief and be fully convinced and not weaken in your faith? How's that possible? Well, it will not be by burying your head in the sand and living in denial about the difficulties that you find in your life. Do You see, that's not what Abraham did. He considered his body. He considered the body of his wife. Do you know what that means? He thought about it. He looked it square in the eye, the reality of his circumstances. He looked at those things and those truths and those realities. And then he looked to this amazing, bringing life from the dead, creating things where things don't exist, God. And he chose not to believe this circumstance, but instead to believe this God. What an example he is for us so that hope was fulfilled and promise, the promise was kept and faithfulness was displayed. And family, listen, I have a question for you. If that was possible for Abraham before Jesus, <laughs> what is possible for us? What is possible for us? If we would trust and believe and come to this God with the empty hands of faith who by grace wants to give us something that we are just to humbly receive. Well, Paul answers the question of what is possible. Verse 24, if you do that, if you believe that way, it will be credited to you who believe in God who raised Jesus, our master from the dead. The most cataclysmic event in all of history, greater than bringing a child from the womb of Sarah. And this Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. Well, hallelujah and praise Jesus. Do, do you see but the story of Abraham and far more importantly, the story of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob means. It means that what was true for him is true for us. Abraham is our father and we are not disconnected from his story or his God. We are part of a long stream of believers. Oh, please. Can we just stop being chronological snobs? We, we need... Family, we need to look back and see the heritage of faith. We need to, like I said, we, we need to be identifying him as a God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who is our God until this day. Do not disconnect yourself from the family of the covenant. This God who brings life from death and did so in the raising of his son, a raising that was necessary because he had been delivered over because of our trespasses on a cross to die so that all those trespasses against God's law might be forgiven and so that we too might be raised <laughs> to newness of life made right 
before God so that in Jesus, all the hopes are fulfilled (laughs) and the promises are kept and faithfulness is displayed. So what does that mean for this week in the very real circumstances of your life? What does all of that mean? Well, it means, brothers and sisters, that that you have the privilege of going before God and requesting things of Him. And it means, what I see in the Bible is it means that God gives you now two words. I promise. Father, when I am afraid, will you help me? I promise. Father, when doubts assail me, Will you strengthen me? I promise. Father, when people attack me and tear me down and I feel unsafe, may I run to you and be safe? I promise. And when I'm walking through the shadow of the valley of death, terrified of evil, will, will you be with me to comfort me? I promise. And will you, would you please lead me to places of stillness and and rest as if I was in the quietest green meadow or beside still waters? I promise. And when I feel unloved, will you pursue me with your love? Oh, I promise. And when I feel that only goodness and not evil seems to have my number tracking me down, will you pursue me with your goodness and your mercy? I promise. This life is hard sometimes, Father. Sometimes with a kind of hardness that I feel will never end. And sometimes I feel so alone. Do you promise to never leave me or never forsake me? Even as I make my way through this veil of tears? Oh, I promise. And Father, I know that there have been so many times that I've done things, things that I'm embarrassed about, that I've done over and over, and I feel beyond your mercy. Will you still show me mercy? I promise. And I know that the life that I've lived seems at times to exhaust your grace. Will you still be gracious to me? I promise. But I've given you so many reasons to be angry with me, Father. Would it be possible for you to be, you know, like slow to anger? I promise. But when I look at my life, my love seems so weak and my faith goodness, even weaker. Will you still abound in steadfast love and faithfulness? I promise. And when I sin, if I, if I confess, will you always forgive me? I mean, always. I promise. And when I look at my heart and soul and I see the stain of my iniquity, will you cleanse me from all unrighteousness? I promise. But what of my unrighteousness? Would you wash me as white as snow? I promise. And one day when I die, will you raise me to new life? Oh, I promise. And will you allow me to live with you forever? 
with a new and glorified body, free, finally, from sin. Will you let me live with all of my brothers and sisters who I've met through the ages, and some of those I haven't, in a new heavens and a new earth with a forever family, forever, Father? Would you do that for me? Oh, I promise you. And how? How, Father? How are all of these promises possible? And I hear him say, because my children, because of Jesus, who was appointed to be my powerful son, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Oh, don't you see? And every one of my promises is yes and amen in him. And you have only scratched the surface in your asking. Go into my word and see all of my promises and write them all down and call on my name. I am faithful. I am a faithful God because of Jesus. And when you believe in him, all things are yours because you are Jesus's and Jesus is mine. So, dear child, will you believe? Will you, will you just simply rest in my promise? Would you take what may seem like the risk of placing all of your confidence in his faithfulness. May it be so. Worship team, would you come up? As they're coming up, I'd like to pray for us. Because sometimes, family, what happens is we don't give the Holy Spirit space to communicate to us what he has for us. And so we move even into a really great worship song, like we move so quickly, and then the song ends, and a blessing happens, and you move into other conversations with other people, and the next thing you know, it's Thursday, and you haven't thought at all about what God wanted for you in his word, in this text. So we're just going to take a couple moments of quiet. So there's nothing magical to bow on your head, but it helps you be free from distraction. That's probably the only magic in it. So maybe if it's helpful to you, close your eyes, bow your head, and just ask, Father, by your Spirit, would you, would you show me what you have for me this morning? Father, we end this service where the worship team began hours ago saying that and declaring that we believe in your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit is here right now in this place. Maybe for somebody it's to heal wounds of, of distrust and unbelief because they've been hurt by someone who promised something. Maybe it was because it was a father and so it's hard for them to see 
you as someone that's trustworthy. Father, we believe in a Holy Spirit that will help all of us to be able to rest and trust in you, to lay our deadly doing down. Jesus, you said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus, I think that you could say that because your word tells us that you're the one who kept all the promises of God. So Father, help us to place our confidence in your faithfulness. Yes and very amen. Yes and very amen in Jesus'